Dear friends in Christ, who here wants to go to heaven? If I stand here long enough, everybody will raise their hand because it'll get awkward, right? But everybody wants to go to heaven, right? We all want to go to heaven. But why? Is it like some of those places that the kids mentioned? Is it like a, a prime vacation spot where your friends tell you you just have to go someday? No, I don't think so. There, there's, no, there's no open house where you can have a risk-free look at where you're going to spend eternity. Is it like a, a roller coaster where you waited years to be tall enough to ride? What, seriously, why do we want to go to heaven? Is it just that we don't want to go to hell, so we want to go to heaven by default? My, my great-grandmother lived to be 101 years old. She outlived her husband by over 20 years, and she was seriously the sweetest lady I've ever met. And yet, every time I saw her for the last decade plus of her life, like clockwork, she would say the same thing. I just don't know why I'm still here. I think that is probably one of the most common reasons that people give for wanting to go to heaven. They're sick of it here. They, they want to escape from this world. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but heaven is so, so much more than just an escape that God gives us when we feel like we've run out of good things in this life. Like I mentioned earlier, the, the theme and the book that we're looking at for these next three sermons is Revelation. And the book of Revelation was written by a man named John, the Apostle John. And when John wrote Revelation, I'm pretty sure he was thinking, why am I still here? John was one of Jesus' disciples. And actually, at this point, he was the only disciple because all of the others, every single one, had been executed simply for sharing their faith in Jesus. And it wasn't looking a whole lot better for John either. He was imprisoned. He was in exile on an island off the coast of Greece. And as someone who had spent considerable time with Jesus already, I am guessing that John went to sleep every night, hoping that he'd wake up to be with Jesus again. So I don't know if it was to help with John's misguided ideas about heaven or with ours, but it was probably both. But God gave John a sneak peek at heaven. And then John wrote down the things that God showed him so that the world could know about it too. And we call it John's Revelation. But it's kind of a confusing, misguided title because it's really God's revelation, right? It's the things that God revealed to John. Now, like I mentioned, times that we look at what heaven is like in the Bible, it's a lot, of, a lot of picture language. It's a lot of earthly concepts to help us understand. And this section that we're looking at today is no different. Lots of pictures, lots of imagery. And it's just five verses this morning. So if you're comfortable, I'd actually invite you to just close your eyes and just listen to these very picturesque verses from God's Word. We read from the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. 
Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is God's word. It's poetic, isn't it? I can't remember the last time I read something that left such a a powerful picture in my mind. John sees a city, and there's a main street running through this city. And yet, unlike the cities that we're familiar with, the city isn't built around this street. There's a river running through the middle of the street. The river is the central thing in this city. And this river is filled with the purest water. Not just water that keeps people alive, but water that gives them life. Water that washes clean everything that it touches. This water flows from the throne of God. The throne that symbolizes the power and authority that God has over all things. And this water isn't just a water source for people. We hear that the tree of life is growing beside this river. And we're familiar with this tree. This is the the tree that Adam and Eve ate from in the Garden of Eden, in God's perfect creation. When humans lived in God's perfect world before there was any sin or sadness or anxiety or anger, when humans lived in perfect harmony with God. And yet Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They disobeyed him, and so they were put under a curse. They would never eat from the tree of life again. They would die. But now, in this city that John sees, the tree of life has made its return. And everyone who lives in this city receives the the healing power of the tree of life. Because in this heavenly city, the curse that Adam and Eve brought upon the earth is long forgotten. Now, if you want to explore in this city, you can do it anytime you want because there's no night in this city. Not that night is something evil, but there's no night in this city because there's a light in this city, a light that the Bible talks about again and again, the light that overcomes the darkness, the light that allows those who follow it to never walk in darkness. And this light gives freedom to those who are held captive by the power of sin, and it guides the path of those who wander around aimlessly in the darkness of this world. That's the darkness that has no place in this heavenly city. 
The darkness of sin cannot exist in the presence of this light. And you and I know this light by a lot of names. Savior, Messiah, Christ, Jesus, Son of God, the Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb who was slain for our sins and the Lamb who now sits on the throne of this heavenly kingdom. The Lamb to whom belongs all power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And it's that Lamb who sits on the throne of the universe that loves you intensely. He gives you the fruit from the tree of life. And he washes you clean in the living waters of heaven. And he puts his name on you. So that everyone who sees you knows you as a servant of the Lamb. But in in God's kingdom, there's nothing lowly about being a servant. Jesus was a servant, right? He was true God, and yet... He came to earth to serve us and to save us. And we want to be like Jesus. We want to be his servants. And so in this heavenly city, we get the best job description there is. We're servants of the Lamb. Now, it's it's a beautiful picture that God gives us of of what heaven is like. And yet, he didn't give it to us to to convince us that we should want to go to heaven because heaven is so wonderful. And don't get me wrong, it will be beautiful beyond our wildest imagination. But the problem with our our human minds is we kind of need to see things to really appreciate them. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but I'd really like to someday, but I, I, I can't imagine I appreciate it in the same way that those of you who have seen it appreciate it. And I think that's kind of why sometimes we don't always want to go to heaven, right? We don't want to go to hell, but we kind of treat heaven like it's this consolation prize that we get when we can't live on this earth any longer. And we know that that's crazy, but since this is all we see and it's all we know, A lot of times, I think, this is all we want. My parents have told me that on my fifth birthday, I was really upset because they they told me, Nathan, you get to be five today. You're five now. And I said, well, I don't want to be five. I want to be four. And I wonder if that's sort of what it's like for God to know that so many people are convinced they just want to keep living on this earth forever rather than enjoy eternity in the perfection of heaven. I think my parents just shook their head and laughed at me. And I mean, that's, it's about that silly, right? When people are convinced they want to stay here forever. It's like a, a five-year-old who wants to be four forever. But I, I don't think we can be convinced of how badly we should want to go to heaven or of how great heaven is because of the the what or the where of heaven. But when we talk about the who of heaven, 
about who is there. Well, that's what makes heaven so exciting. Heaven is so great because Jesus is there. And the, the presence of the right person is a game changer, right? Have you ever been to an event or a gathering or something where you're like, well, this is, this is fun, but you know, if so-and-so was here, it would just be so much better. In a way, that's kind of what our, our whole lives is, are like, right? And God is here. He's with us. He promises us that he's always with us, but we can't see him. And we already talked about how important seeing is to our human minds. But there's something that prevents us from being with God in the fullest sense of the word. It's the fact that God is holy and we're not. God has set standards and we have fallen short of those standards. And so because of that, God says that no one can see his face and live. Sinners like you and me cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. But that's why it should really catch our attention when we read and when we hear these words. They will see his face. In heaven, we will see our Savior face to face. We will see the one who has forgiven all of our sins face to face. And that is the biggest game changer there is. I, I want to share with you a book this morning. And I know last time it was To Kill a Mockingbird, so I'll try to not make it Vickers Book Club every time I have a sermon. But it's called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. And it's actually the book that our, our women's Bible study group is going through right now. So, but I, I really think everybody should read it. It's, it's, a, it's a great read. Um, and if, you know, if you're not in the women's Bible study, you can come talk to me about it or something. But not to spoil it too much, but it's right there on the back of the book. The three words that the author says will change your life are the words, God is here. And I can't do justice to the author's point about what makes those words so life-changing. But the general idea is that we overlook the promises of God so much, especially his promise that he is with us. And the author gives this exhaustive list of all the ways that that just changes our perspective on life, to know that God is with us. So I'd really recommend checking it out. But I'll just read, I'll just read for you one line that I haven't been able to get out of my head since I read it. The author begs a really interesting question. He says, what if we saw every funny, thrilling, relaxing, interesting, camera-worthy moment in life as an invitation to remember God is even better than this? And that just, that just hit me right in the chest when I read that because that is just, that's just so spot on. That is exactly the reason that I so often get my priorities out of line, and I think that heaven isn't really all that exciting to me. Every time that I, I see and feel and experience the best things in life, I so often forget 
that the best things that this life has to offer are just a teeny tiny taste of the goodness of God. Just imagine what it will be like to stand directly in the fullness of God's goodness without even a hint of sin to tarnish that. If God can make our, our hearts full and our, our jaws drop in this world, we can't wait to see what he can do in the next world, right? All the, all the best things in this life, all the things that make us say, heaven has got to be something like this, all the beautiful days out in nature, all the warm memories that you have with family and friends, all the hard work that pays off in the most satisfying way, all the beautiful mountain sunsets, everything that makes us just step back and say, it just cannot get any better than this. How much more will we appreciate all those things when we let them remind us that God says it can and it will get even better than this. There's a, a Bible verse that says that now we see just a poor reflection of God like in a mirror. But then we will see him face to face. We will see the Lamb of God, the one who took away all of our sins, the, the one who took away the curse, who became a curse for us to remove the curse from us. And when we stand directly in his presence, we will experience all the best things that life has to offer without any of the sin to wear us down. We will experience something that we can't even imagine. That is the fullness of God's goodness. And that's when we will truly be able to say, it just cannot get any better than this. Amen. And the peace of God that